gospel according to Mark. And uh, I think we spent a lot of time in chapter 10, haven't we? Uh, so we're looking at verse 32 to 34 of chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 32 to 34. Let me make sure if I have my sermon with me. Mark chapter 10 verse um, 32 to 34 and the title of today's sermon is Determined to Suffer for Sinners Determined to Suffer for Sinners Let us look at God's word shall we? Mark chapter 10 verse 32 to 34 and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus, listen to this, Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And, and taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, what, uh, see we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him and after three days he will rise let us pray this is God's word thank you Lord for your word as we dive deep into the gospel according to Mark and we get a clearer view of the heart of Christ and his mission. We pray that our hearts will rise with joy, with faith in what you have done for us through him. Help us to understand and hear your word this morning. Open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see clearly as we need to see that your name will be honored and glorified in our midst. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen. Determined to suffer for sinners. Since the day we began um, this series, we saw Jesus began his earthly ministry and called his disciples to follow him. He had tried to help them see exactly who he was. They believed that he was a great teacher. They believed that he was great, a great prophet. They believed that he was a man of God. They even believed on some level that he was the promised Messiah. They believed that their leader, their rabbi, Jesus, was going to deliver their nation from the domination of Rome. They believed that Jesus was going to re restore Israel to its former Greatness. They believed that he would be king of Israel. And they were right. They were right. They were just mistaken about the timing. The disciples believed that these things were about to happen in their lifetimes. They believed that Jesus was on the verge of, of establishing his kingdom in the world. They failed to understand the truth that God was up he was up to something much greater than that. On two previous occasions, Jesus had tried to tell his man that he was going to, um, to, to, to die. Um, he, he was sent into the world to die. 
the, the, the first, Jesus told them uh, about his approaching death. Remember in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. And on that occasion, Peter rebukes the Lord and could not uh, grasp what Jesus was trying to tell them. On the second occasion in Mark chapter 9, verse 31, they were all confused and confounded by what Jesus said and could not get their minds around it. The Jews were looking for the Messiah, but they were looking for a military leader, not a man who gets himself executed. They simply could not understand the truth that the Messiah would have to die to accomplish his divine mission on earth. So once again, Jesus tells his men what he's about, what, what, what is about to take place. He gives them the clearest and most detailed statement about his impending death. This occurred as Jesus and his men were walking towards Jerusalem. Look at verse 32. It says, And Jesus was walking ahead of them. It was common for a rabbi to walk ahead of his disciples. It was common for the rabbi to walk in front all alone. That is where we find the Lord as he leads the way. Jesus gives his followers some very important information here. I want to share the contents of his message with you today. In this passage, we see Jesus out in front leading his man. We see Jesus going where no other man could go. About to do what no other man could do. We see Jesus blazing the trail for all who will receive him by faith. Brothers and sisters, as I was preparing this message, I just wanted to stop here. Let me stop here just for a minute. Just imagine this scene. A A man walking to his death and he is not crying and 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 and, and, and kicking his feet he is not trying to hold to hold back he 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 is determined he leads the way when a man is going to his death they are usually uh, you know trying to, to 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 hold walls and trying to hold people not not to get to their death Jesus no one is holding him he is determined we, we, we sing songs about uh, as we gather together there's a song by John Wesley that he wrote interestingly three days after he came to Christ amazing love how can it be that thou my God would die for me amazing love as, as he was heading to Jerusalem brothers and sisters this is the first time they, uh, you know, Jesus is heading to his death they tried to kill him countless times but it was not time was it now Jesus is determined he knows and he goes goes. I want to point out the divisions of this text today. I want you to see first Jesus and his focus. Secondly, Jesus and his followers. And thirdly and lastly, Jesus and his future. I want to preach to you this morning on the subject determined to suffer for sinners. Determined to suffer for sinners. Let's see what was on our Lord's mind as he approached the cross. First of all, in verse 32, 
Jesus and his focus. The, the, the phrase that we see, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, is in the present tense. This phrase is the idea of Jesus kept going and going. Nothing could stop him. As he led the way for them, he kept going. It is, the, it is a picture of a man whose face is set. A man who is resolved, who cannot be stopped in his mission. It is a picture of a man whose mind is made up. It is a picture of a man who is determined to go somewhere and who refuses to be distracted from his mission. It is a picture of a man whose mind is made up. That is the Savior in these verses. He has his mind fixed on some things and he is determined to carry out his mission. Now what was he focused on? Let, let, let me uh, 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 try to answer that question. What was he focused on? First of all, he was focused on a place. The Bible says they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. They were headed to the capital of Israel. They were going to the place where the temple resided. They were uh, uh, traveling the, the, the same road. Uh, walked by the pilgrims on their way to sacrifice. They were walking the same path and, and million, that millions of others had walked uh, uh, through the centuries. They were headed to a specific place. We are told they were going up to Jerusalem. This was true since Jerusalem is located high in the mountains of Israel. There are places with a higher elevation, but people always spoke of going up to that city. Uh, one, one reason for that way of thinking has to do with its spiritual nature. Jerusalem was the home of the temple of Yahweh. It was the place where God dwelt. It was here that sacrifices were offered and atonement was made for the people. To the Jew, Jerusalem was always on the way up. It was a place of higher spiritual elevation in their minds. That is the city to which they were headed that day. However, I do not think that Jesus had the city on his mind. I'm here to convince you of, a, of something different. I do not think that he was focused on the temple and on the religious rituals that were being carried out there. I, I do not think that he was contemplating the architecture that he would see. I, I do not think that his mind w was on the sights and on the sounds that would surround him when he arrived in Jerusalem. I am convinced that Jesus had on his mind a little hill just outside the city gates. I am almost sure that he's focused his focus was on a hill called Golgotha, a place we call Calvary. His mind was on the hill where Abraham offered his son Isaac to the Lord in Genesis 22. His mind was on the place where he would offer himself up as the final, perfect, eternal sacrifice for sin and sinners. Every day of his life, every step in his ministry, every miracle, every sermon, every single thing that Jesus did while he was here on earth served to bring 
him to that hill, on a hill far away, stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. Calvary was his destiny. Calvary was his mission. Calvary was his goal. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Calvary was the central of his mind as he walked toward Jerusalem that day. He was focused not only on a place, but secondly, he was focused on a plan. Focused on a plan. Jesus knew that when he arrived at, at Calvary, an age-old plan will be accomplished. Jesus knew that at Calvary, the prophecies of the prophets will be fulfilled. He knew that at Calvary, the, the just demands of a holy God would be met. He knew that when the events that would take place on Calvary were accomplished, God Almighty would be satisfied and the lost sinners could be saved. Lest you misunderstand me, brothers and sisters, the cross and the death of Jesus were not some unfortunate event. They, they, they were not some unfortunate uh, accident. The death of Jesus on the cross was not God's plan B. The death of Jesus was planned long before the world was ever created. His death was promised to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were in their shame, naked, because of their rebellion against the word of God. And God still justified to crush them right there and then. Makes a promise, a double promise, a, a judgment to the serpent and a, a, a mercy to Adam and Eve and, and also the rest of their posterity. He promises the seed that will crush the head of the serpent and his heel will be bruised. His death was pictured in the coats of skin that God made to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.21. His death was prefigured in every sacrifice and offering in the temple and the tabernacle. His death was the theme of the Old Testament prophets. You see, Jesus in his death on the cross would accomplish what, what all the millions of liters of blood that was shed under the Old Testament system had failed to do. His death would accomplish what Adam's thick leaves could never have done. His death on the cross would fully and eternally and perfectly Pay for the sins of all those who place their faith in him. As Jesus made his way to Jerusalem, the plan of salvation was on his mind. He was headed there to fully deal with sin. And nothing would stand in his way. 
if you just employ the, the eyes of your imagination to just view what is going on in the hearts of his disciples, with all that he has already told them of what awaits him in Jerusalem, and they are looking at him. They are thinking, this is a madman, determined, going, taking step after step. Nobody could stop him, determined to suffer for sinners. Lest you misunderstand, brethren, he didn't have to. He didn't have to go to Jerusalem. If he looked the other direction, just as Jonah, right? Jonah was running away from God. Jonah ran. If Jesus looked the other direction and went the other direction, he would still be justified. We deserved nothing. The wrath of God upon our heads that was to be poured out was justly deserved. Yet, yet he still went determined to take another step, focused on a place, focused on a plan, thirdly, focused on a people. It wasn't just a place and a plan that the Lord has had attention on. His mind was also focused on a people. Before he was born, the angel told Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, Verse 21, she, talking about Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came to this world with some people on his mind. Who are those people? Well, first of all, it is those who would be given to him by the Father. John chapter 6, verse 37. Secondly, it is all those who believe on him, and be saved, John 1, verse 12. Thirdly, it is all those chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. His people. He had his mind on all those who would bow before the Father and confess Jesus as their Savior. He died for all those who would believe the gospel message. In other words, if you are saved, or if you will ever be saved, you were on his mind. And Jesus made his way to Jerusalem that day, thinking about all that he would save. Now look at verse 32. We saw Jesus, first of all, uh, still in verse 32, and his focus. Now we see Jesus still in verse 32, and his followers, Jesus and his followers. These verses do not simply talk about the Savior. They also tell us something on the mindset, of the mindset of his man. We are told that they were amazed. They were amazed. The word means to be astonished or to be frightened. We are also told that they were afraid. The, the, the word means phobia. It's, it's, it's a Greek word, phobio. 
we get the word phobia from. It means to be put to flight, to be seized with alarm. There was something in our Lord's demeanor that caused his man to be filled with fear as they looked at him. There was something about the resolve in the eyes of Jesus that filled his, his man with fear. He looked different on that day. It was not like any other day. It was a different day. Brothers and sisters, it was a special day. It was a day that turned the world upside down. It was a day that made it possible for you and me to know him. It was not just any other day. When they looked at him, they saw a different expression on his face. Let's look into their fears just for a moment. First of all, the reason for their fears the disciples are afraid for Jesus and for themselves because they know the Jewish leaders hate Jesus. Jesus had had several bitter encounters with the Jewish religious leaders. They are upset by his miracles. They are upset by his claims to be the Son of God. They are upset by his claims to be the Messiah. They are so upset that they want Jesus dead. The event that has them so angry is the miracle involving the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Remember the episode um, of Lazarus in, in John chapter 11 verse 1 to 45. And th this miracle which so clearly identified Jesus as God in the flesh was a miracle that cemented the Jews in their unbelief. They, they hate Jesus so much that they are so determined to see him dead. They had already threatened him uh, to stone him uh, already. The, the disciples know this and they are amazed that Jesus seems determined to march to his death. Uh, John chapter 11 verse 8. I would imagine that they tried to talk him out of going. I'm certain they tried to change his mind. Every attempt failed and Jesus continued to march toward his date with death. Of course, Isaiah predicted the Messiah would be focused in, in Isaiah 50 verse 7. The, the, the disciples are afraid for Jesus. They are also afraid for themselves. This is not what they signed up for. <laughs> they, they, they followed him because they believed he was the Messiah. They, they followed him because they believed that he was about to establish his kingdom. They, they followed him because they, they thought they would reign with him. Now it appears as though they will die with him and they are afraid. Now let us see the resolve in their fears. Even though they are afraid, even though they can't talk Jesus out of going to Jerusalem, even though they want to run away, they continue to follow him. Strange, isn't it? As brothers and sisters, uh, let me just um, deviate a bit. But as Christians, even though <laughs> we go through difficulty, even though we, we go through pain, even though we go through situations that we cannot understand, we need to still follow him. We need to still follow him. They followed him. 
What a testimony that is, isn't it? They were resolved to follow Jesus even if it meant that they would die with him. Their feelings are summed up with, in the words of Thomas in John 11 verse 16, when he says, let us also go that we may die with him. It's hard to find that kind of resolve today. It seems the, lit, the least little thing is enough to knock people off the course with the Lord. A word spoken out of ten, a correction, a little pleasure, a little inconvenience, a little trouble, and the average church member is done with following Jesus. I didn't know, um, they say something like this, I, I, I didn't know it was going to be like this. I, I thought following Jesus would pay off big for me. I, I, I have to give up too much. It, it just costs too much. Those are the kind of things people say today. Where are the people who will follow Jesus? Even if the path leads to their death. Where are the people who are determined to follow him, regardless of the cost? Where are the people who are determined to be committed to him, regardless of what is happening in their lives? To follow him, regardless of the fact that you are experiencing trial, experiencing pain, but to still say, though he slays me, yet will I trust him. Where are those people? Brethren, are you those people? Are you those people? Are you those people? Now look at the remedy for their fears. Jesus sensed the fear in his men and he took time to comfort them. That, that lets me know that his people are important to him. We all deal with fear from time to time, don't we? There isn't a person in this room that doesn't have questions, doubts and fears in various areas of your life. There are very few true followers of the Lord Jesus who don't have some fears about where the path God has them walking is headed. We all have doubts and fears, but we also have a Lord who cares about what disturbs us. A God who calls us to cast our burdens on him. In fact, we are told in the word that what touches us touches him. He cares, he is concerned, and he invites us to bring our fears to him. You see, don't allow your fears, your doubts, and your concerns to derail you. Bring them to Jesus and find a friend who is able to help you deal with them all. Now, I want us to look at lastly we saw Jesus. And his focus, Jesus and his followers, and lastly, Jesus and his future. Jesus and his future, and we see this in verse 33 and 34. As Jesus spoke to his men, and um, as they were on the road to Jerusalem, his words were not what they wanted to hear. Jesus tells them in very clear terms what is about to happen to him at Jerusalem. How did Jesus know these things? Well, there are two answers to that. First of all, Jesus is God. 
He knows these things are about to take place because they are part of the plan he developed. Secondly, he knows these things because he has read the Old Testament. Everything Jesus tells his man in these verses was prophesied of the Savior before he ever came into the world. I said that to say this. If you want to know the mind of God, read his book. He has all the information you need to know for both life and death in the pages of his word, the Bible. Uh, That is why there are people with extensive and expensive educations that are dumb as a rock in spiritual matters. While there are people who can barely read that are wise in the things of God. What makes the difference? The word of God. Read the book and grow wise. In these verses, Jesus tells his man that he's about to suffer. Uh, Let's be reminded again of what the Lord did for us when he came up to heaven, to, 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 to Jerusalem. First of all, his future involved the rejection. That the leaders of the Jews would make a final rejection of Jesus as the Messiah. They would reject him. That their Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin, would condemn him as a common criminal sentenced um, to die. The, the Jews, the very people he came to save, would turn him over to the Gentiles so that they can put him to death. Secondly, his future involved ridicule. Even as he died, the crowds uh, around the cross would mock the Son of God and ridicule him as he died. Remember the gods of the high priest as they mocked him in Matthew chapter 26? The, the soldiers uh, of Pilate mocked him in John chapter 19. The crowds in Matthew chapter 27 mocked him. Thirdly, his future involved regenicide. I know it's a big word, but it's, you, you'll understand it. That the word refers to the killing of a king. We talk about homicide, the killing of a man, uh, femicide, the killing of women, uh, uh, childicide. I'm just joking. Uh, 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 <laughs> the, the killing of a king, the regicide. That they took the Son of God and they scorched him. They, they bent him over a low pole and they beat his back with a Roman flagellum. Many people died from this act alone. Then they spit in his face and ripped the beard from his face. Then they nailed the king of glory to a Roman cross where he hung for six agonizing hours before he died. They removed the body of our Lord from the cross and buried him in a borrowed tomb. His future involved resurrection. Three days after the king of glory died on the cross, he got up from the dead. Jesus freely laid down his life and he had the power to take it up again. Jesus got up that third day to never die again. I want you to note But what does this mean for us? Simply this. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need never fear death. 
never fear hell, the grave, or the judgment of God. Why? Let me give you a couple of reasons to settle your heart. When Jesus died, he was not dying for himself. He was dying for all those who would place their faith in him for salvation. Secondly, when Jesus died, he was paying for sin and satisfying a holy God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. When Jesus died, thirdly, he was opening a way of salvation for every person who would receive him as their savior. Fourthly, when Jesus died, he was dying for sin and for the sinner. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 51. When Jesus died, number 6, all those who believe in him died with him, Galatians 2, 20. Number 7, when Jesus died, he was judged in the place of the sinner, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. When Jesus died, number 8, he rose again. He rose with everlasting life from, from all, for, for all those who would have faith in him, John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. When Jesus died, number nine, uh, and he rose again, he stripped the power of the grave away forever, and he gave his followers victory over death, hell, and the grave, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 53 to 57. You see, brothers and sisters, Jesus went before us. He endured the wrath of God on the cross before us. He rose from the dead before us. He has paved the way for us. And we are simply to follow him by faith. And we will enjoy his perfect eternal salvation. And we will experience peace with God. Are you saved today? I don't want to assume that just because you are here at church, you are saved. Do you know the Lord? He led the way. I just love that passage. I just want to read it again. And as they were on the road going to Jerusalem, Jesus was walking ahead of them. Isn't that amazing, brothers and sisters? He was walking ahead of them like a good shepherd. He walked before his flock, taking care of every need in advance. He has cleared the way for his people. He came to this world with a single goal. He came to accomplish our salvation. He did this when he died on the cross and rose again from the dead. He went where no one could go, where we could not go. He, he did what we could not do so that we might receive what only he can give us. Brothers and sisters, Jesus went before us. And because he was determined to suffer for sinners, as sinners, we can joyfully follow him. Let us pray. Indeed, Lord, you were determined to suffer for us as sinners. Even when we are afraid, when we are amazed, may we still follow you. May we still follow you, Lord, when we experience pain in life, trial, persecution. May we still follow you. May we be like the churches that we pray for Sunday after Sunday, who follow you in the face of danger, 
the face of death, because you have defeated the grave, stripped it of its power. Death, be not proud. Our Lord is victorious. Amen.